You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Bright and early here in TW11, and a lovely morning as well for Wednesday the 24th of May. The Irish Classics taking centre stage this weekend, the 1,000 and 2,000 guineas. At the Curra, more of that in a few moments' time. But restructuring the British racing programme has been uppermost in the minds that those that run racing in this country for the last few months. And it seems as though we are nearing some sort of a conclusion. Joe Somerez Smith, the chair of the British Horse Racing Authority, went on record yesterday. The details remain largely secret, but we're getting a well-sketched outline of what to expect now. Rishi, what's he had to say? So on a Saturday afternoon, for example, between the hours of two and four, which they see as key in terms of attracting new fans to the sport of holding ITV's uh, coverage, terrestrial coverage, uh, they are going to put on two uh, top class race meetings and one core fixture or non-premier meeting uh, at the same time. So the maximum between two and four will be three race meetings, two of the very highest quality and one that will be described as a non-premier or core meeting. So you still have a fair bit of racing going on in that two to four spell, but at least the top class racing will be given the room to breathe and take its place uh, at at, at the top of British racing. And in a sense, this has got to be driven by data surrounding the likelihood of increased betting revenue if the racing is better spaced out during that core period, or at least that's what you'd like to hope, because I'd put it to you that at the moment, that's exactly what ITV are doing anyway. They will only show two, maybe the odd time, the odd race from a third meeting on a Saturday. The races are perfectly reasonably spaced out and there's enough action for people to get a bet on the next race. So it presumably fits that that data model. But this, I'm guessing, is um, to try and uh, increase the hours of wagering during the course of the day and spread it out more liberally through the day. Well, that, I think that's part of it. I think it's also trimming the fat around those major race meetings as well um, in order to allow people to concentrate on the top top end of British racing uh, in order for that racing to have its moment to breathe. Then they want to trim the fat away from the racing that doesn't really attract good quality horses, good quality competition at that particular juncture. So in those afternoons, not only will you have the reduction of racing that perhaps doesn't fit the criteria for what they term the the premier meetings, the two to four slot, um, but yes, as a consequence, it will then move some fixtures to perhaps either earlier in the day, later in the day, or God forbid we even move it to a Sunday. Well, Sundays were a big part of the the Peter Savile plan, weren't they? Which has which which has been the blueprint for for much of this. Uh, do you think Sunday racing is going to be a secondary premier day, or will it just become a repository for uh, tracks that are forced to move off off Saturdays? I believe that the Sunday racing will have an increased in terms of quality. Um, I think some of those meetings that would have been on the cusp of being on a Saturday afternoon in the slots of two to four, it's possible. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm only speculating here, but I can imagine that if they are going to try out maybe Sunday evening racing, then they ought to deliver a better quality of racing. So those races, or those race courses who feel they're maybe sidelined by the two to four slot, that's um, imminent. They could perhaps 
provide some sort of quality for the Sunday racing, which at the moment we know that Sunday racing doesn't really deliver what it was originally intended for, which was a much better quality of racing so that those people who could come racing on a Sunday would see uh, some of the better competition that we had to offer. Rich, we've already covered the the backlash to this from the Sandersons who were, were threatening uh, legal action. We heard from Louise Stewart from Chester last week, who was more measured in her criticism, but nonetheless you know, re-emphasized that uh, Chester's business model was to a greater or lesser extent predicated on the footfall on those big Saturdays. And you can hear some of the independents, both small and slightly larger, saying, well, this is the service that we provide that our customers want on the day they want to come racing. And you are now depriving your fans, your your grassroots supporters of the day where they can enjoy their hobby. Um, and we're sacrificing that on the altar of a of a, a plan that has been been drawn up centrally uh, in in BHA HQ. I, I get that. I certainly get that, Nick. Um, there is obviously a great deal of cynicism about any plan that the BHA come up with to try and improve the standard of British racing. But the the, 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 the simple facts, if we were to boil it down in you know a, a couple of minutes, you and you and I know we've discussed it many a time. You would have discussed it uh, with many other people that the quality of British racing, the fixture list, the prize money, the turnover. Uh, that's coming into the sport, the levy, it's all negative. It's all negative. And something has to be done to try and arrest the situation. Here we have a data-driven plan by the BHA, which will involve one or two race courses, well, obviously not one or two, it will involve a few race courses having to sacrifice those moments on a Saturday in particular, where they would have previously uh, had great crowds but but at some point, someone has to say, look, the greater good of the sport is far more important than anything else. And the longevity of racing succeeding, being healthy is the most important thing. It's far more important than anything else. You know, you, me, our opinions and what happens with many of these race courses. I do understand. But there is a possibility of maybe coming to some sort of compromise in terms of, I don't know, I mean, I'm only shooting from the hip here and I don't know the exact details of it, but perhaps some sort of compensation or at least a trial to make sure that these aren't lost forever. And if it doesn't work, you can go back to it. Um, so it's not entirely at the expense of, you know, that the hurt isn't as bad as it would be um, where they just say, well, this is the situation and you have to bite the bullet and go with it. Although, you know, when you consider where the British racing is heading, perhaps that that might not be the worst thing in the world because ultimately there's only so much that can go around and it, it comes down to merit in the end. You know, you can't have everybody succeeding. Not every race course is going to turn a profit at the end of every year. Um, and those that don't are going to have to maybe look at their business models and maybe think of, you know, better ways of doing it because unfortunately our sport isn't able to sustain everyone the way it is at the moment. And the BHE are taking a step to do something about it positively. And like I said, it is data driven on the premise that there's going to be better turnover. So in the long run, it's going to be better for the sport. I understand why those race courses, some race courses will be worried, will be concerned that perhaps the fixtures that they had previously attracted lots of people to the races might disappear, but ultimately Somewhere along the line, someone's going to have to take some hurt, take some pain, make some sacrifices. And is this an acceptance, effectively, final point, is this an acceptance that um, 
your premier fixtures will will make money in lots of different ways through media rights yes but also through people actually turning up but the smaller meetings really their purpose in terms of serving the sport as a whole is simply to fill up the schedules they 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 are not there in order to grow a local fan base that is not their primary purpose anymore well i think part of the reason or one of the things that we've talked about is is the fixture list fixture list has grown because we've ended up with a lot of racing just to serve the purpose of racing just to have race meetings because of whether it's earning more money for media rights whether it's attracting race uh, race courses attracting good crowds to make good money um, as a consequence, we have a bloated fixture list that doesn't have the horse population that puts pressure on uh, staffing um, and that dries up the turnover because there's too much racing. You cannot possibly follow all the racing that happens at the moment. So ultimately, something has to give. So onwards to the action on the track and to the Irish 1000 and 2000 guineas this weekend at the Curra. Uh, Jessica Harrington has high hopes of success in both those races with three horses, all at quite big prices, spread across the weekend. And, of course, Spreewell in the derby a couple of weeks beyond that. More of Spreewell in a few moments' time. I'm joined by uh, Jessie's daughter, Kate Harrington. Uh, Jessie had her uh, latest operation yesterday as she continues her cancer treatment. Uh, Kate, uh, I I know I, I will be joined by m- all of my listeners in, in wishing your mum all the very best how did how did she come through yesterday first of all she's getting on great nick and yeah she had her operation yesterday as she says it's another hurdle over and done with and um she now can't wait to get back out of hospital and to get looking at her guineas hope and hopes and derby hope next week for next weekend i'm assuming she's she's not exactly been a been a silent partner all this time i'm guessing you're you're getting full instruction as to what to do in her absence Oh, I think I, I think I've already had a forty-five minute phone call um, about everything that's happening in the yard this morning. So, uh, no, she is definitely out and about and very much still. Um, she might be here this morning, but she's definitely still uh, here in spirit because she'll be on the phone to me about, I'd say, twenty times this morning. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. I will get off the phone quite quickly. Let's talk about these two horses in the in the two thousand. It is Kwa Shema and Bold Discovery. They're, now they're big prices, but they're pretty unexposed particularly Kwashima can you give me any encouragement yeah Kwashima he's a really nice horse um of course we went to Dundalk um, to get good ground with him and then we had him entered up in a few trials but the ground was too soft so we we knew he wouldn't go on that and the good to firm going that we're going to have for the weekend um, is going to really play into his strengths and he's had a couple of race course gallops he's been completely prepared for the day so it's fingers and toes and everything crossed for him and uh, bold discovery has had a, a few more starts we we slightly know where, where we are with him do you do you think he can step forward significantly from that rather disappointing run last time yeah the disappointing run at the cur the last day there was an excuse he scoped dirty afterwards and we were left a bit scratching our heads and we actually did an allergy test on him and we found that he had a few allergies. I think we've um, knocked them on the head now with some um, medication that he's had 
um, over to help him with them and he's really come to hand um, in the last week. He had a race course gallop at Leopardstown last week. He's going to do his final breeze actually here now this morning. Um, but he's Aideen, who rides him every day, is really, really happy with him and thinks, he said yesterday, he felt the best he's felt all year. So I think we're getting him there in the right direction too. Now, there aren't many maidens who win classics, but Eternal Silence wouldn't be a massive shock in the Irish 1000 guineas. You ran her in the in the Moigle last year and she finished third behind uh, Tahira and Meditate and she was running on all, all the way. Has she has she improved through the through the winter? Has she improved enough, do you think, to, to make up some of the ground? Yes, and um, this filly, like she's 16-2, 16-3 and she was that as a two-year-old last year and um, she ran a mighty race on ground she didn't like in the Moy Glare and um, like her, a bit like um, Cora Shamara, we've been entered her up in a few maidens and we haven't run her because the ground has been on the soft side um, but she has strengthened up unbelievably. Some of her work at home has been exceptional and, um, you know, she is going to have to make a massive step forward but uh, I think Aiden's broken a few, was it Together Forever? She broke her maiden in the Oaks so, uh, you know, just following Aiden's footsteps. Try break a maiden with a classic. I remember Snurge breaking his maiden in the ledger, but that is going back a long, long time. I'm sure. I'm sure Aiden's done it with a with a few down the years. I, I mean, she's by Warfront out of a street crime mare, so I can understand why you want to try and keep her away from soft ground. Yes, exactly. Um, keeping her away from soft ground is definitely key to her, and uh, she's done like um, Quar Shamar. She's done a few racecourse gallops as well, and and um, we got her on a real bit of good ground the last day. She was on grass, and she was absolutely. She, we were really, really happy with her. I actually think it was forever together that broke her maiden in the was it the Epsom Oaks? Good, might be corrected. Good knowledge. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back and have a look. Um, I, I know a horse that does have a decent chance in an Epsom Classic and you're probably not too far away from him right now and that's Spreewell in the in the derby. With with all the um, trials throwing up not, not exactly conclusive results, your confidence must be growing all the time, isn't it? Yeah, this horse, he just keeps on improving. He doesn't show you very much at home. He just goes through the motions, but he seems to get to the race course and he comes alive and... Uh, we didn't think that much of him when he ran the first day at Goran and Shane just said he felt like a different horse on the racetrack and he's only learning um, as he has races and I was so taken by him in the derby trial at Leopardstown the last day and he did it so well and he's come out of that race like a different horse he's moving better he's doing everything better and um much uh, he's just one that's going to keep on improving and keeps I love those ones that keep it for the racetrack all right, Kate, thanks so much. Great to hear that um, Mum's operation went well. Wish her all the best, and thanks for the updates. Great. Thanks, Willie Nick. All right, well, Rishi is still with me. Rishi, you've cast your eye over the 2,000 and 1,000 guineas in Ireland this weekend. What's your overview? Uh, now that Royal Scotsman has been given the all-clear um, to run in Ireland for the Irish 2,000 guineas, I'm all over him. Um, I thought it was a mighty run in the 2000 guineas at Newmarket, considering how keen he was. I was surprised he got as close as he did. And he raced on the wrong side of the course. When you look at the horses that he raced with, how far he beat them by, it was very impressive. Um, if he settles a bit better, my goodness, I think he'll take some stopping. All right, let's hear from his trainer, Ollie Cole. I began by asking him, in light of what Rishi just said, the extent to which he felt the Royal Scotsman was uh, unlucky not to, not to win the 2000 guineas. Well, I think I think he was drawn on the wrong side, for starters, and 
having come out the stalls, I think there was a slight interference with little big bears and apparently we clipped heels and then he pulled that lit him up and then we pulled for four furlongs. He got taken back and then had to catch up a load of lengths at the end. And to do that was pretty special in my opinion. Um, I think, you know, on a, on a level playing field, if he settles and everything, I think he's, um, I think he's a very, very good horse and arguably taking nothing away from the winner. Um, you know, it'd be nice to meet him again one day, but obviously we've got the hurdle of the Irish Guineas and he goes there in great form. But, um, you know, we're just hoping for the best, really. Uh, and you will get a pretty good idea because the runner-up, High Royal, who was just in front of you in the Guineas, opposes you opposes you once again. I'm, I'm suggesting that you're, you're going to be reasonably respectful of, of him, given how well he ran at Newmarket. Yeah, he ran a great race, didn't he? He ran a great race, but... Uh... Yeah, looking forward to taking him on, and um, we, obviously we, we we have a lot of respect for him, but we, we also think a lot of our horse. Uh, you've switched the jockey up. Jamie Spencer takes over from from Jim Crowley at the at the weekend. What's the thinking behind that? Well, I think Jim's busy with his commitments with Shabwell, and um, J- um, Jamie's written a lot for Miss um, Feetree Hay, and. Um, He's probably the perfect fit, really. He's got great. He's got great hands. Hopefully, he'll be able to sort of settle the horse and uh, do, do his magic. And I think he'll suit the horse perfectly. And then rolling on to Royal Ascot, if all goes well. Yeah, all goes. If all goes well, rolling on to Royal Ascot. But obviously, we've got a big, we've got a massive hill to climb before then. I mean, was there a sense though that you just felt you needed to strike while the iron was hot? Because I mean, you could have left him off for for, for Ascot, and but you decided to sort of roll up and put the supplementary fee in for this? Yeah, I think, that, you know, there's only, there's not many guineas, are there? So we'd like another shot at a, a classic, really, and that's exactly why we're going. We're going to um, Ireland to see if we can win a classic with him. I think, you know, he's got stallion credentials. He's very well-bred. He's a very, very good-looking horse. His mother was very good, and obviously the father's very good. So, you know, for his future, it's very important we get a big one in. As Oliver Cole, Rishi, what do you make of the Irish 1,000 guineas on Sunday? Um, I do like to hear her in the 1,000 guineas. I think that she will win and win easily. I mean, she should do, shouldn't she? I mean, she's long odds on to to do so. She and Morge were, were well, well clear at Newmarket. Uh, I, Go on. So I'll just say I loved what uh, comments Dermot Weld made after the, um, the 1,000 guineas at Newmarket, where obviously praising both... Uh, Tahira and the winner Morge, he did uh, make the little point that obvious, obviously um, Morge was that little bit fitter than Tahira. I was interested actually, funnily enough, this will take you back after the race, to hear that Morge might have had an advantage conferred on her by wintering in Dubai and and, the, and therefore coming forward in her coat and of course it felt like I was going back in time because this, <laughs> this was the orthodoxy in the in the mid to late 90s when all the Godolphin horses were coming back from Dubai and everyone said they had a massive advantage because they'd had the suns on their back and all the rest of it. And that went wildly out of fashion when they couldn't buy a horse to get within cooey of the winner in the guineas for about the next 15 years. Yeah, extraordinary. I mean, I'm pretty certain that they have done something similar uh, in the last 15 years. They have tried uh, to do that, but yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I was a little bit surprised to see how much uh, column inches that took up. Okay, many of you will be familiar with the work of the Ebony Horse Club in Brixton in South London, who use horses to raise the uh, education, life skills, well-being of young people from mainly disadvantaged communities 
within Lambeth. And the Ebony Horse Club has had a, a long-standing involvement association with horse racing. Horse racing has raised an awful lot of money for Ebony down the years as well. Uh, now, Matt Chapman, the ITV and Sky Sports Racing presenter, has been along to Ebony to interview uh, Martina, who is uh, critical to the work that goes on at Ebony and who herself, in order to really continue uh, to, to operate fully, requires a pretty expensive operation. Uh, Matt is on the line now and can tell me a little bit more. Uh, Matt, how did you get to know Martina? Well, Nick, thanks ever so much for giving me this opportunity to spread the word a little bit. Yeah, this, it's not so very often in life you, you meet someone or, or speak to someone that just completely, A, makes you have a look at your life, but also is just so inspiring. And Martina was that woman for me, to be quite frank. To cut a very long story pretty short, this is a lady who grew up in the Brixton area of London, has never had much was bullied at school because she was overweight. Then, and the overweight was not because she stuffed in burgers every day. This was uh, a condition um, that was a physical condition causing her to be bigger than she wanted it to be. Um, she managed to get that under control with an extreme fitness regime. Um, but unfortunately, just as she managed to do that and having been bullied and teased throughout her life, and just about got stable, um, she um, has got severe arthritis. So obviously that's a horrible chain of events which meant that she couldn't do the exercises anymore, means that she's become bigger again, and everything that was horrible from her childhood has come back to haunt her. Away from that, she's trying to look after in a pretty small space at home her grandfather and she has um two children one of it which is disabled and um was born a mute but via ebony horse club has managed to learn to talk through the love of the horse um you put all that together and you have uh, a very special woman who's just surviving let alone anything else she works at Ebony Horse Club three days a week in absolute agony. She goes there on two crutches, but she makes sure that whatever pain she is in, she makes sure she does that for the kids. The kids absolutely adore her. The kids are effectively keeping her alive. She, In her words, she wouldn't still be alive if it wasn't for Ebony Horse Club. Um, but she's in a massive amount of pain to the extent that she doesn't drink water in the morning because going to the loo would be too excruciating for her to have that movement of sitting down on a toilet would be too much so she doesn't drink water to prevent that from happening um she's on the nhs waiting list but her operation will be over a year away and yet she's still doing these three days a week at ebony to help the kids and i just thought you know what it's so interlinked this because she is dealing with the working horse and we know that there's a huge threat to the working horse from animal rights activists at the moment and we can show in a different way to horse racing just how important the horse is to the community secondly of course there's a human aim to this like this is a lady who's doing great work while a lot of us swan around and i feel that we should help someone like that and thirdly we are dealing with horses and we all love horses or at least the community that i'm turning to love horses so there were three areas the human side of it the fact that we want to show um, the animal rights activists how important the working horse is and and thirdly the fact that there is an interlinked here with with the beauty of the horse and the work that's being done so i've i've raised a gofundme page um we've done pretty well i only raised it um less than 
24 hours ago last night. Um, we've already raised a grand. We have to raise 15 effectively. Um, and hopefully, with the help of anyone in horse racing around the world who understands this story, and there is a, a, a YouTube video uh, on my um, Twitter page, at MC Yeehaw, three E's, three A's, Y-E-E-H-A-A, with an MC, Master of Ceremonies, at the start. Um, if you go to that, you can watch our video, which is about eight minutes long. And if everyone just listening to the pod, because this pod goes around the world and has this huge listenership to it, <laughs> award-winning podcast, if everyone was just to put a couple of pounds in, a couple of dollars in, a couple of yen in, then we would hit that 15,000. So I appreciate the opportunity to give the words, Nick. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, appreciate the flattery, Matt. Appreciate also the explanation of your Twitter handle, but appreciate much more your efforts on behalf of uh, on behalf of Martina. So head to Matt's GoFundMe page and let's try and get that 15 grand target. Uh, Rishi is still with me. Rishi, some notable horses returning this week. We've spoken quite a bit about Desert Crown. We are going to see him tomorrow evening at Sandown Park. We're also going to see the Coronation Cup winner of last year, Hookham, who we thought was going to be retired but came back from that injury. How serious a challenge do you expect Hookham to propose to, to pose Desert Crown? Um, <clears throat> a significant challenge. I mean, I, I presume similar to Desert Crown that Hookham uh, is has been brought back to show the sort of form that he has shown uh, in the past because obviously he was a very good horse and with that sort of injury, you kind of thought, well, we won't see him again because there'll be an opportunity for him to be retired. Um, and he's only come back if Connections thought he was capable of doing the same. So it, he's a Group 1 winner. Um, and of course... A Desert Crown, though, provides a little bit more excitement because of his profile. He's, I mean, I know it's crazy to say for a four-year-old winner of the Derby, but he's still very unexposed. We have no idea just how good this horse is. And the fact that he is back is a very exciting element of, of the season ahead. Hopefully, he's back and able to show at least the sort of form that he showed when winning the Dante and the Derby last year. And who knows, it's possible he might be capable of even more. And if he is, then it should be a lot of fun following him for the rest of the year. Well, here's how trainer Owen Burrows feels about Hookham ahead of his big test tomorrow night. Yeah, look, he's uh, he's been pleasing us at home. Um, he looks great. The team at Shadwell did a wonderful job, you know, with his rehab and his, you know, pre-training, getting him back going. You know, he's been back with me for quite a while now, so we've had plenty of time to just bring him on quietly. And, um, yeah, he's, you know, he's pleased us. Jim coming out to sit on him on Saturday and was pleased. So, yeah, we're looking forward to getting him his season started. What are you realistically expecting? Well, look, you know, as I've touched on, it's going to be tough for him. You know, it's probably slightly shorter than his best distance, but, you know, he's not ran for nearly a year and he's not a slow horse, you know. Um, so, look, I think as long as he can, you know, show his old enthusiasm, which, you know, I've got no sort of worries as such. His homework is as good as ever. Um, and, yeah, as long as he goes there and runs his race, he will come forward plenty for it. And, you know, we can look forward to, to the rest of the season with him. A nice subplot here is that you're, you're trying to spoil the party for your old boss uh, and good friend Sir Michael Stout. Uh, were you quite pleased when you saw him put solid stone in there, presumably to ensure a good pace for, for Desert Crown? Yeah, obviously, you know, only being a handful of runners, it, it, you know, it's always in the back of your mind that, uh, you know, could get a little bit tactical. And, you know, obviously we wouldn't mind being in front, but, you know, you were then also mindful that, as we touched on, he's not ran for a year. So, yeah, look, it, it, it certainly helped anyway. Oh, and thanks so much for chatting to us. Best of luck. 
Cheers, mate. Thanks for that. Uh, the layers of significance in Little Big Bear's run at Haydock Park this weekend are are multiple, I would su- suggest. This was the brilliant two-year-old from last year who blew out in the guineas like his stable companion, August Roda, and now they're reinventing him as a sprinter for the rest of the season, Rishi. So uh, it's going to tell us quite a lot about quite a lot of things, I think. It is. You know, when we spoke before the guineas, mentioned about the challenge of trying to bring a horse back to run in a classic as strong as that, having not had a run since August, having had an injury and been off the course. Um, so it was always going to be a big task for him in the, uh, in the guineas at Newmarket. Um, I think similar to August Rodan, you put a line through that and we'll get a better idea of where Little Big Bear is now. And what he did at the end of last season was mightily impressive. There's no doubt that in terms of the quality that he showed on the course, he was probably the best two-year-old that we saw last year. Is he still up there? We're only going to find out on on, on Saturday at Haydock. Hopefully there is still something to be excited about because if he is the horse that won that race when we last saw him in August, then he's, he's a very good sprinter for the future. And running slightly at a tangent, if he does come out and bolt up, Will people be minded to think, yeah, do you know what? Aiden was right. Chuck that guineas out. It was. It doesn't mean anything as far as his horses are concerned. And I'll, I'll quite happily now just lump on August Rodan for the derby. I realise you're trying to make two and two make 82, but you, you see what I'm driving at. I do. I do. Uh, and and in fairness, even if Little Big Bear didn't win, even if he, if he blew out again, I think people would still be wary of totally eliminating August Rodan from their derby calculations. The strength of Aidan O'Brien's confidence behind this horse is more than just the, you know, he can run, he can win the July Cup, he can win the Ark, he can win the King George, everything that, uh, you know, he can win on dirt, etc. All that chat that you sometimes get. It's more than that. Clearly, they he believes, clearly he believes, honestly, that August Rodan is a very, very good horse. But I see what you're saying. Were a little big bear to do something spectacular on Saturday, then it will only add to the to the hope and the and Aidan O'Brien's confidence that August Rodan will take all the beating at Epsom. Okay, Rishi, back with a tip in a few moments' time. But first of all, we're heading to Hong Kong and to the Croc. J. A. McGrath, what news? Hi, Nick. It's an important weekend of racing coming up in Hong Kong. On Sunday, we have the Group 1 Champions and Chater Cup over a mile and a half, a distance not often used in Hong Kong. In fact, there are only three races over that distance the entire season. It's a very high standard lineup for this race, headed by a romantic warrior who will be tested over the trip for the first time, and he'll have Zach Purton aboard for the first time in a race. Romantic Warrior can be a little keen in his races at times, so Zach will be intent on trying to get him to relax early. If he can switch him off, he's such a quality horse, he should prove too good for them. For the record, Romantic Warrior has won 10 of his 13 starts for prize money in excess of £8 million, and with luck on his side, he can easily double that total in seasons ahead. He's ranked number four in the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary rankings, behind Equinox, Hong Kong's Golden 60, and Australian star Animo. The TRC figures are rankings based on frequently running to a certain high level, so when Romantic Warrior goes for his scheduled seasonal break after the weekend, 
the European stars will come to the fore. He might drop down a couple of places in the rankings, but not too far. His opposition on Sunday at Shatin are last year's Champions and Cheetah Cup winner, a Russian Emperor, the 2021 winner Panfield, as well as Straight Aaron, the recent winner of the Queen Mother Memorial Cup, and also Money Catcher, Senior Toba, and other notables. After today, there are 15 meetings left in the Hong Kong season. Zach Purton has 137 winners on the board, a remarkable 61 ahead of his nearest rival, Vincent Ho. And Zach has several good chances on the nine-race card at Happy Valley today. I think the best of them is in race six, number six, Seasons Wit, who's trained by Jamie Richards, the first season New Zealand trainer, who's doing particularly well. Seasons Wit has shown a lot of promise in his uh, limited starts in Hong Kong, and uh, I think he's going to go in this time. So race six in this 1,000 metre handicap, uh, that's five furlongs. Number six, Seasons Wit to beat seven Atomic Energy, who's in great form at the moment for Tony Cruz. So race six, number six, and number seven, take them in a tote swinger. Another uh, chance for Purton is later on in race nine, number five, Jumbo Fortune. Now, Jumbo Fortune uh, was a horse who showed a lot of promise in Australia. It ran second in uh, the VRC size produce stakes uh, over seven furlongs at Flemington. That was uh, a good, good run. He hasn't really lived up to that in Hong Kong so far, but I think that over the mile, he just might prove very good value. Race nine, number five, Jumbo Fortune. That's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Okay, that's it. Thanks to my guest today. Thanks to Rishi, who has a tip for you. Yes, Nick. I am going to Kempton tonight on the all-weather, the uh, mile-and-a-half handicap. There's a horse running called Balhamba, uh, who won a race at Chepstow last year. Uh, he's running off a mark of 83 today. The horse that finished second to him... Uh, at Chepstow is now rated 100. The horse who finished back in fourth is rated in the 90s. Uh, he had one run after winning at Chepstow. He went to the King Edward, uh, sorry, the King George V handicap at Ascot, and he disappointed. Uh, but he hasn't run since. He's back in a handicap tonight at Kempton off a mark of 83, and he is trained by the great man himself, Sir Michael Stout. So stand by. Rishi, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you again tomorrow. That was Wednesday, May the 24th. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.